0: Hello and welcome to A Novel Process, the podcast about what it's really like to write a book. My name is Mae Jasper. Okay gang, this is episode 14 of the podcast where I am writing a novel and every fortnight I make an episode to tell you guys how it's going. And this episode I'm going to talk about how it's like kind of not going because I'm blocked and it's annoying. Writer's block is obviously a cliche uh, and it's not like it's never happened to me before. In fact, I've been blocked. Writing this book before. But this one is particularly annoying because I had been of the impression that we were going to get done with the summary and I would have a structure and then it would be easy sailing or at least easier sailing. But previously, when I have written big works like this, I've written plays rather than writing books. And plays are shorter, so you need less stuff or at least this is the theory. Part of uh, part of the reason why this is a silly podcast to make is that I'm trying to talk with authority about a process that I genuinely know nothing about. I don't know how to write a novel, so I could be doing it very wrong. But it seems to me that while in if I were writing a play, I would get to the end of the summary and, and be in very good shape and know exactly what was going to happen all the way through. With the novel, I now know kind of a really broad outline of what's going to happen, but there are a lot of specifics that I don't know. And I knew that what I needed to do was work out those specifics. And, you know, obviously I've done two podcasts since finishing the summary. So I had sat down and thought about what my audience was telling me and taken that on board and restructured my thinking. I'd done my own thinking about what needs to happen next, but I was still feeling really unwilling to take the next step. And I've had a long history in my life of having problems with procrastination in various areas and about various things. And one of the things that I was surprised to learn when I finally, you know, talked to a professional about it was that procrastination comes a lot from anxiety and that a lot of the time if you're not doing something, it's not because you're lazy and it's not because you're any kind of bad person, you're just anxious and the worst thing you can do is beat yourself up about it. So I did a range of things designed to reduce my anxiety you know, exercised more and ate a vegetable, made my bed, things like that. And that at least gave me the clarity to work out why I was blocked, even though I still haven't written anything since summaries. And the reason why I'm blocked, I think, is that accidentally, without intending to, I have made this a book about terminal illness. And that's, like, not a fun thing to think about <laughs> it's not a thing that i'm like rushing to get excited about and and the next step in the process is to you know one of the big things that i need to do now one of the ways that i add detail to this novel is to start thinking about the backstories of all my characters and for at least five of them maybe more part of that backstory is going to have to be when did you find out you were going to die and how did you react to that? and what what stage in the process are you when I begin this novel? How are you going to react to the events of this novel? How are you going to be as a person? And usually, when you have a character who's in a situation that you're not in, and let's be clear, I'm not terminally ill. What you do is you put yourself in their position and you think about what you would do. and that works well with something like you know imagining that I'm an accountant who's got a Big promotion at work. I am not an accountant and I honestly have very rarely got any kind of promotion at work, but I can imagine that would be fun, exciting, you know, maybe a little scary, whatever. I can imagine what would happen if my brother annoyed me in some way when I was a teenager, even though I'm not a teenager and I've never had a brother, but I can, you know, extrapolate. It feels like being terminally ill is a different thing. One, because i don't want to imagine that it's a really scary horrible position to put myself into and number 2 even if i try i don't know how i'd react i think it's a really hard thing to know how you'd react i think it is a really unpredictable thing but i say i think because i i hadn't really looked into it so while i haven't done any writing what I have started to do is some research. The first thing I did was to take the the easiest way to research this kind of stuff and to try and find some media about it. And I ended up doing something that I meant to do for the last, I don't know, seven years or something, and starting to listen to Andrew Denton's podcast uh, on euthanasia, which is called Better Off Dead. And the reason why I haven't listened to it, it is not because it's not an excellent podcast. I knew it was an excellent podcast. I had a lot of people recommend it to me, won a lot of awards. The reason I didn't listen to it is because I don't want to think about euthanasia, man. Jesus. But I I listened to it and I got three episodes in and I was listening to an episode about a woman who was terminally ill and this is all made at a time the laws have actually changed since then. I think this podcast that Andrew Denton made generally had some effect because there has been a change in legislation since it was made. But at the time, there was no kind of legislation around euthanasia in Victoria or in Australia generally. You know, you could find yourself in a very difficult position. And this woman had found herself in a very difficult position where she was very sick and where part of her illness involved bouts of extreme pain, pain so bad that regular painkillers didn't touch the sides, pain so bad that she couldn't tell anybody she was in pain. And she knew that she was going to die and that without assistance, she was going to die during one of these periods of intense pain it would just get so bad that she would die. And she didn't want to die like that. So she had managed to procure by post an illegal drug called Nembutal, which is basically a poison that will kill you painlessly. But because it's illegal she had to be very careful about when she could use it and she wanted to die surrounded by her family but if her family was there when she died they could face legal repercussions and jail time and i'm listening to this podcast you know walking along the arrow river i had to sit down on a bench and have a cry like it was just overwhelmingly sad and i'm sitting there and you know after i would had that moment i thought to myself why am i writing this book not only is this not going to be a fun thing for me to write and live with, but like, who's going to read this book? Who's going to to voluntarily think about this stuff? And at the time, I decided to keep going for three reasons, and not all of them are good reasons. The first one is pure laziness, because I already had a structure and it had taken me a long time to get to the point where I had a narrative structure and had a a version of the book that I was excited about. So I didn't want to start from the start again. And the second reason was that I had set out on this process to write a novel and very purposefully thought of it as an exercise to see whether I could write a novel. Yeah, it's not about really about the audience in any way for me. It's about like, Sure, if I get to the end and I'm happy with it, maybe we send it off to some publishers or whatever. I've, I don't know if I've talked on this podcast before. I very much subscribe to the first pancake theory of creativity, which is to say that when you're making pancakes, it doesn't matter how many times you've made pancakes before. You make a pancake and the first one is always shit. And you go in with that understanding that you are going to throw away the first pancake. But you have to make the first pancake because that's how you figure out if the pan's too hot or if you don't have enough milk or something. So, yeah, you write the first novel in order to work out whether you can write a novel, and then you take all the lessons that you learned from it and go on to the next one. The third reason is maybe the only good one at that time, which was although I don't like thinking about terminal illness, and although I I think I don't want to think about terminal illness, clearly part of my brain is already thinking about terminal illness because it's in the book. Yeah. Subconsciously, I am interested in this, even if consciously. It makes me want to cry on a bench. And that's not that surprising once you think about it. Like, I'm going to be 40 next year. Thinking about death is a thing that you do more as you get older. My parents are not young. This is going to be something that will come up. It is clearly something I'm already preoccupied with. So I decided to keep going, but I definitely wasn't going to listen to any more of Better Off Dead. It's a brilliant podcast. If you're in the mood, you should listen to it. Whoa, it's not for me. So instead, I put up a request on my Facebook wall saying basically that I was writing a book about terminal illness and that I wanted to talk to people who knew something about it. And I got a lot of responses. And so one of the things that I've been doing the last couple of weeks is talking to people. I've still got more people to talk to, and it's very possible that we'll come back to this later, but it's been really interesting. I talked to a friend of mine who has been an oncology nurse for the last 30 years. And while we talked about a lot of stuff that was really interesting, one of the main things that she told me that I thought was really interesting to think about was that when people become terminally ill, their reactions depend very much on where they are in their life, which makes sense, but in particular, how psychologically developed they are, and that how they react to being told that they only have a limited amount of time to live is going to vary, very much depending on what their stage of life leads them to value. So this woman I was talking to, uh, Robin is her name, who's been an oncology nurse, she would talk about women who would come in to get chemo and then rush out again without any thought to themselves or their recovery because their kids needed to get to soccer. And that that's what they were at their stage of life was all about their children. Their focus in their life was all about their children. And so even while dying, that's where it stayed. And that by the same token, if you had teenagers and young adults who are told you're dying, teenagers are very self-centered, psychologically, intentionally. They're in a place in their life where their focus is about who am I going to be as a person. It's inward focusing. And so teenagers, when they get sick, are extraordinarily angry and extraordinarily self-centered in a why me kind of way. And it's interesting to think about because, of course, also railing against the world and saying that it's terribly unfair and being angry, of course, yes, it is very unfair. That's a horrible thing to happen to you. But also it's just about that's what their brains are capable of doing. They're capable of of focusing on themselves and they don't have almost the distraction of a more mature brain allowing them to see their own life in a greater context, which is really interesting when I think about Nellie, you know, as this character that I've written to be a young person who is angry with her mother. I mean, that was a shot in the dark for me. Teenagers are often angry with their mother, but That, according to Robin, is a very truthful thing, that often teenagers lash out at their parents who are only trying to do everything they can for them, but really what they want from their parents is for their parents to say, this won't happen to you, and they can't do that, so anything else they do makes them angry. I also talked to another friend of mine whose mother died when she was a long time ago, so she had the ability to be very removed from it, and she told me some fantastic, amazing details. My favourite of which at the moment is that her mum, at a certain point, her digestive system basically started to fail and she wasn't getting any nutrients from her food. But her doctors recommended that she still keep eating and still keep consuming food in that way because it would keep other parts of her system functioning. But basically, her doctor said to her, look, at this point, it doesn't matter what you eat, yeah? You You can eat whatever you want because the nutrients are not the point you're not getting any of them. So this woman went out and ate ridiculous, amazing, decadent food. She would go out to insane restaurants and order the most preposterous thing on the menu and then have to throw up in a flower pot on the way out because her system wasn't processing anything. She also, her whole life had loved twisties and always tried to limit her consumption because twisties are a total junk food. My friend told me that when her mum died, she went home and and started to clear out the house and opened up the kitchen cupboards and it was just all twisties, the whole wall-to-wall. There was nothing else in the cupboards but twisties. And these kind of details, they are really interesting and obviously heart-wrenching, but the good thing is that those reasons that i had originally for continuing with the book that were bad reasons i do feel like now having done the research and having kind of pushed myself to think about this stuff i am starting to find more good reasons to do this it has the potential to be interesting there are some aspects of this i think there are ways to make compelling characters in this situation that won't just be depressing that will be interesting and surprising and funny but also like that post that I put up on Facebook looking for people who had been in some way affected by terminal illness who were willing to talk to me it got a lot of response I had a lot of people volunteer to talk to me because this is something that happens to people a lot and particularly when you remember that not everyone's going to be willing to talk to me about it. You know, there are clearly more people, even in the small amount of people in the world that I know, there are a huge number of people who have had this experience. And it's, I think it's definitely worth writing about, although it is going to be <sighs> something that I find hard to do. There is a lot of guff about writing. A lot of, you know, sort of inspirational nonsense. And one of the things that I've always written off as being kind of bullshitty is this idea that you should always write what you're scared of, that you should follow that fear. And I'd always thought, that's dumb. You should write what you're excited about. I guess maybe that sentiment comes from the idea that your fears are subconsciously something that you are interested in. You don't fear what you're not preoccupied by. So I guess that's what we're going to do. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. I'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, I always love to hear from listeners about how they think the process is going. So the place to leave questions or comments or just to keep up to date with the novel process is on the Victorian Theatre Company socials or at the website, victoriantheatre.org. Have a good one.